It's Encounter with God here on The Breakfast Show. So we get into our Bible study, 20 million movement, 20 million people around the world studying the same passage of the Bible at the same time. Today we're, getting, we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 1, so you can turn there in preparation for the study. Okay, so we're beginning. In, uh, today's Bible study is titled uh, Repetition, Word Patterns and Meaning. Okay, so before we read this passage... Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to, if you're writing something down in English, like you wrote a script the other day, I did indeed. And if you want to, <laughs> if you want to emphasize something, <laughs> yes. How do you emphasize it? repetition? No, in English. In English, yes. How do you emphasize something in English? Like when you're writing it. Yeah, yeah. You want to, you want to, like, like make it jump out off the page. Put it in all capitals. All Put it caps. in all caps. Okay. Put it in all caps, and you're screaming. Exactly. Yep. All right. Well, Stage directions. He screamed. He yelled. All right. So what what, what other methods uh, might you have of emphasizing something? Screaming is actually it's interesting because you're a young person who is saying that. Uh, screaming by using all caps didn't used to be a thing when I was your age. No? How did you emphasize or how did you tell a reader when you were writing that what you were writing about, the person saying what you were writing was, was yelling or, or saying what they were saying loudly? It was called an exclamation mark. <laughs> so that's what we used to use back in the day was an exclamation mark and of course that's still used today um, it hasn't that just adds extra emphasis and when there's two or three exclamation marks that's like way with, with of caps, emphasis it's like whoa something's going yeah, on here now, now then if you add caps and that's a a modern invention that has come about really during the since texting has been invented where one of the challenges that we're faced with texting is being able to communicate emotion. You take a phone call and you communicate emotion through your voice. Uh, but, you know, 90% of communication is nonverbal. And so a phone call cuts out a lot of communication that would take place if you were talking to the person face to face. Well, when it comes to texting and the texting generation, you've cut out, you know, 99% of your communication. And so. Uh, texters have you know, invented ways of being able to uh, communicate emotion in text messages. And, of course, that's where we have the invention of emojis and things like you know, all caps for screaming and so forth. And, yeah, your digital natives are growing up with it, and that's the only thing they know. You know, one thing I think is amazing is that I'm, just, I'm, I'm on YouTube right now, and there's a good chunk of YouTube videos where the title is all caps. Um, there's this one, there's this one YouTube series that I follow about bike riding and this guy's building a, a, a like a, a pump track or a, a, is building, using dirt, digging dirt to make jumps and stuff in his backyard. And he's put that in all caps and he's made 15 of these videos and every single one of them is in all caps. And it's, it's, I think it's also the, the media uses it to, to grab your attention as well. Mm. And I think that's what's happened w- with my case right here, but with other things, as well, like in the news, quite often in the news, uh, I'll, I'll read that the um, the obviously the titles in all caps, but the first couple of words of the the news story are sometimes in all caps as well, or, or bigger than the others. So it's used to to really capture attention. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so Hebrew. Uh, what did Hebrew have for punctuation marks? Hebrew, I, I, I don't know. Did they just use specific language? Hebrew contains no punctuation marks no. in the original language. No. So would they use? Would they, would they really get into the details about how someone said it? Like rather than just saying someone said this, that they someone said this loudly or someone said this with passion. 
Okay, so if you are going to, because you've got no punctuation marks, and New Testament Greek, by the way, was written without punctuation marks, and New Testament Greek was written in all caps. The whole Bible was written in caps, all caps. So all of it was yelled. All caps, okay, and think about this, all caps, no spaces between the words, and no punctuation marks. That'd be the wrap your head around that. That'd be challenging to read. That'd so, be one uh, tough cookie to crack. Yeah, that's a tough. That's a, and so, I, absolute respect for uh, all those uh, theology students who are studying New Testament Greek right now, and are learning to read in all caps with uh, no spaces between the letters and no punctuation marks. Does Does the Greek writing have lowercase, or is it just? No, it has lowercase. They just didn't it's use just, it. Was just didn't use. Wasn't used in uh, New Testament Greek. I see. Yes, the whole the whole New Testament was screamed. Um, except back then it wasn't screaming. That was just a way of clearly, legibly writing. And, you know, even in English today, it's like, fill out this form, use all caps. Indeed. Because it is a very legible block way letters. of block letters. Block letters. Okay, so if you were a Hebrew person and you did not have capital letters to use, or you did not have an exclamation mark to use, how do you emphasize something? Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. And you will notice the literary um, way that they were able to um, emphasize a point. Okay, so, so verse... Genesis 1, 26, 27. Okay. The, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Is there anything within that passage that kind of gives you a hint that there is a point that God wants you to pick up on? There is indeed. And what is that? The the point that you draw, that God wants you to pick up on is that he created. What on earth would give you that impression? Repetition of the word. You know when uh, one thing that I did drama class and the thing that we were taught most uh, that was the most important thing about uh repetition in in writing scripts and writing stories is the rule of threes. If you really want something to be ingrained into someone's head, it's the rule of threes. Once is an accident, twice is a coincidence, three times is on purpose, four times it gets annoying. Oh, four times gets annoying. Uh, apparently. All right, so that, that, that's... It, it drags it on. All right, oh, so that's going to be interesting. Okay, so then if you want somebody to remember something, are they going to remember it better if it's just repeated three times and it's obvious and intentional or will they remember it more if it's annoying? We're going to look into that a little bit. In the, we in could the Bible do in three times three, which also works. Indeed, you could. Okay, so three times God has been God has emphasised in this passage right here, and we can look at it in verse twenty-seven, uh, where it says, "Notice what what it says right here." So God created man. There's your first time. In His own image, the image of God, God created him. There's your second time. Male and female, God created them. And so three times it has emphasized God's creatorship. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. All right, so I think this illustrates the point that when the God when 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 the Bible wants to put in an exclamation mark, it repeats itself three times. It does indeed. Now the whole this is the whole system in which Hebrew poetry is written. 
it also, I, I don't know if you noticed, but it also does it in verse 26, except it does it a little less indirectly. Oh, okay, go for it, go for it. Yep. So then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Oh, now that's interesting. Okay, 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 let's think about that for a moment. Us, our... And us. Uh, and, and us. Again, yes. What is the idea that is being emphasized here? Uh, well, not only... Um, not only, I think it's two things. First of all, that God is talking about Himself. Yes, and that there is is, is saying it in first person. Yes, but is saying it as if there's more than one person. Exactly. So first person plural. Exactly. All right. Now that's interesting because God, right at the very, very, very beginning is emphasizing the fact that the Godhead is more than one person. The Godhead is made up of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which would be confusing for people if it wasn't for chapter 2 and verse uh, 24 where he actually describes how plural can be singular. Indeed. Because we're made in the image of God, right? Do you want me to read that one quickly? Okay, before you do, we're made in the image of God. We are. So therefore, we would expect that there would be attributes of God that have been given to us. We're not God, but there's attributes of God that have been given to us as human beings, right? The Bible says that God is plural and yet one. How is that possible? Go for it. I'll read verse 23 as well. At last, the man exclaimed, This one bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh, she will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united as one. Okay, so two become one. So you've got plural here that becomes singular, don't you? Indeed. And what God is doing here is he's illustrating to us how uh, this concept of plural can be singular. Indeed. So you've got three persons in the Godhead. That is one God. And you think of a family. In my family, there's eight people. It's the Shuttleworth family. We're, one, one family. You are, one. you are one family. Exactly. We're one big family. Now, we <laughs> are not a perfect illustration of the Godhead. And no. the reason that we are not a perfect illustration of the Godhead is because of sin. In, indeed. You know, so you take sin into a, any kind of human relationship and you're going to have conflict. You're not going to have that perfect unity that exists in the Godhead where there is no conflict because wherever there are humans... There's going to be conflict. That's part of uh, being a sinful, broken human being. All right, we're going to look at a whole bunch of different um, examples of this. There's so many examples of this in the Bible. But let's talk about Hebrew poetry for a moment before we uh, continue on. And let's consider how Hebrew poetry works. Hebrew poetry works by repetition. And so repetition within Hebrew poetry is basically coming up with your central thought and repeating it for emphasis. Repeating it this way, repeating it that way, repeating it a different way, but repeating it for emphasis. We're going to look at some examples of Hebrew poetry, but before we do, there is Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to 3, and we're going to look at another way that repetition using the rule of threes is going to uh, be found in the Bible as a replacement for a punctuation mark. You know, I'm super glad. I think I might be thankful for this this morning during our thankful time at the beginning of the show. Yeah. I'm going to be thankful for the punctuation mark. There you go. You know why? Why? Because I'm lazy. <laughs> if, I had to, if I had to write in Hebrew, every time I wanted to emphasize something, I'd have to say it three times. There you go. <laughs> Whereas in English, I can just write it once, put a punctuation mark there, move on. Exactly. 
But it is really cool when you understand what's going on in Hebrew and then you see these these emphases coming through. It's like, yeah, okay, that's where an exclamation mark should go. Uh, God is trying to make a point here. Mm. Isaiah 6, chapter 1, one three. to 3. It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Okay, where's your repetition there? There's a couple of repetition places in here. They've got right. uh, the, the two wings, two wings, two wings. We've got holy, 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 uh, and I think that might be it. Why do you reckon the two wings is repeated three times? Oh, I don't know if it's emphasizing the fact that the seraphim had wings or if it's trying to emphasize the two. I, I do realize that it's trying to emphasize something, but I'm not entirely sure exactly what that is. It just popped into my head, which is why I asked it. I don't actually have an answer for it. Maybe you've got an answer, so maybe you can give us a call on one eight hundred three two four eight four three, or maybe you can text us on zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Love to hear your thoughts on this. Why? Why does God make an issue over the seraphim having two wings? I mean, obviously they're not going to have one wing, but they could have four, I guess, or six, uh, something like that. But yeah, that's emphasised. They have two wings. Okay, but the really important one here is what they say. What is it that they say? Holy, holy, holy. And what is Isaiah's reaction uh, to this particular vision? How does he respond when he sees this? Uh, when he sees this vision, let's let me just flick over here to Isaiah with you very quickly because I want to look at it in uh, in my translation. Because here you have a proclamation of the holiness of God with an exclamation mark at the end. You could even say a proclamation with three exclamation marks at the end, or you could say that you have a proclamation here that is written in all caps. So if this was a YouTube video, it would be all caps with three exclamation marks. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this, is, this is emphasizing the holiness of God. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, then verse 5, we have his reaction. Then said I, woe is me. For I am undone. I bet your Bible doesn't say woe. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Do you know what mine says? The, the new lame translation over there. Um, oh, yeah, what I don't say? mind it though. It's kind of cool. It's all over. Nah, but woe. Woe is such an awesome word. I think woe should be brought back into the English language. It's all My over. challenge for you today, Liam, is to use woe somewhere before the end of the show. Whoa. Okay. I'll see how I can. I'll see what I can uh, do. <laughs> no, that was that, that was a different woe because the woe that you just used is spelt W O A H. I want is. you to use W O E. Then I said, "Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips and have lived in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of Hosts." Why does Why does Isaiah react this way at this particular time? And he's like, "That's it. I'm done. I'm finished. I'm over." In this bit, he's. I, th I think the exclamation mark is sinking in. Okay, and the exclamation mark for him is a little bit different for, than for us. It is. Because we're reading it. He's seeing he's, it. He's realized just exactly he what's going on. He's seeing this. Yeah. This is a vision that he's having. He's actually there in the presence of God 
And when he comes into the presence of God, he recognize he instantly feels his own sinfulness. Indeed. It's interesting because you read Isaiah, and up until this particular point, he's talking about the sins of Israel. Oh, Israel is so sinful. They're, 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 from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet, they're riddled and soaked in sin, and we have a great God who can forgive us of our sins. And so it's almost a little bit like Isaiah has, uh, you know, he stood up and, and, and done the right thing as a preacher, as any preacher should, and he has proclaimed the, um, the sinfulness of God's people. This is appropriate. This is what you should. But maybe... He hasn't, in the same process, recognized his own sinfulness. And this is a trap that we all fall into as human beings, particularly if God calls us to proclaim somebody else's sinfulness, we lose sight of our own sinfulness. And so by the time you get to chapter 6, God's like, okay, Isaiah, um, you might be starting to spend too much time talking about other people's sinfulness. My, so here I am. My version of chapter 5, it says it's all over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. And can I just quickly come back to, to chapter 2 where it's talking about the wings. We had a message come in. Is the two wings actually emphasizing the fact that they were covering different parts of the angels' bodies and thus how holy God is? Oh, I like that. Mm. That would be a very interesting one to compare with Ezekiel chapter 1 and Ezekiel chapter 9 and 10. We probably won't go there right now, but you guys that are listening in from home, head over to Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel 9 and 10. Let's do a bit of comparison with the cherubim. So here we're talking about seraphim. Let's do a bit of a comparison with the cherubim. And let's also look at what it is that is actually taking place when they come into the presence of God. This is a very good point that's been made. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right, so getting back to our Bible study, we've been talking about this concept of repetition. And we talked about, uh, what was the principle that you learned in drama about saying something once, saying it twice, and saying it three times? The rule of three. So first time is an accident, second time is a coincidence, third time is intentional. Okay, so it's always going to be intentional once it's three, and anything above three is what? Anything above three, it can get too repetitive, too annoying, or, or it just it drags it on too long. It takes away from the performance. So, okay, in, so what in, about Eight. Eight. See, there's a certain. I think I, I, I think there is a certain point where it does get to really emphasising because with the rule of three, that's you know for humour, for for um, to, for other things, and when I say the rule of three, it's like uh, re- repeating something three times. Or oh, okay, so here's an example. Yeah, who's on first? Who's on first? I don't know. Okay, so if you go Who, through that little uh, skit... Who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. That's right. But if you go through that little skit, it repeats itself all over the place. It does. Um, there's a, there'd be a lot more than threes in that, I would, I would imagine. There is. Uh, but it works. It does. And so there are then situations when continual repetition will actually work. Do you want me to... Uh, As a literary device. I've... Okay, okay. Yeah. It's, let's go to Daniel chapter 3. Okay. Actually, oh, I, I miscounted. I was going to say this was eight times. I'm going to change that. Let's go with nine. Nine? Oh, so maybe we've got three, what, lots of three. Maybe that's the, uh, maybe that's the issue. St- the rule okay. of three is still there. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1, if you'd like to read that one for us, please. Daniel 3 and verse 1. All right, okay, here we go. Daniel chapter 3. Verse 1 says, King Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. 
Why can't they give it to us in metric? The whole world is uses metric. Come on, American translators. You're not the only country in the world. 27 metres tall and 2.7 metres wide. Yeah, decent. It's a footnote. Oh, yeah. There we go. So it's, it's not small. Uh, so it was a very big... He, he built a statue that was very big and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Is that what you were... Chapter uh, Verse 2 there, is that the one that you were referring to? How many verses did you just read? Three. Okay. Okay, in each one of those verses, Mm -hmm. you will notice the same thought that is repeated. Okay, so verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the the king made an image of gold. Indeed. Um, uh, Verse 2, the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Verse 3, the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then we go down to verse, uh, let me see, 5, the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Go to verse 7. And you'll find the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Um, are you getting bored yet? Verse 12, uh, the Bible says, uh, We will not worship the golden image which you have set up. Verse 14, um, Do you not serve my gods nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Verse 15, uh, where we got here, I fall down and worship the image which I have made. Verse 18, um, we will not, O king, we will not serve your gods nor worship the golden image which you have set up. Okay, so you've got 18 verses and uh, nine repetitions within 18 verses. That is on average every second verse it is repeating itself. So this comes to the point where you think maybe he's trying to send a message. What's interesting about this chapter is it's kind of like somebody's turned on a tap full blast. Yeah. And it's just like <laughs> coming out of the tap. Nebuchadnezzar made King it. Nebuchadnezzar King Nebuchadnezzar made it. He made it. He made it. He made it. He made it. And then suddenly you hit verse 18 and suddenly somebody just turns off the tap. There it goes. And it just goes bone dry. And from that point forward, it starts talking about Yahweh. Because the emphasis changes at this particular point. And this is the pivot point. Verse 18 is the pivot point where Everybody who is in the audience there forgets the image. Actually, I've got to say... Part of the reason that they forget the image is because... Sorry for butting in. No, it's okay. Um, part of the reason they forget the image is because there's a public execution that's just about to take place, and that's way more interesting. One thing that I've also noticed is that from verse 1 to 19, uh, or verse 1 to almost 19, uh, 16, sorry, they, it, Nebuchadnezzar is referenced, is referenced as King Nebuchadnezzar. But then all of a sudden in verse 19... It's just Nebuchadnezzar. Yes, because a greater king has arrived. Indeed. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's subtle. Oh, good. Well done. Very, very subtle right there. Okay, so uh, nine times in 18 verses. That's every second verse. That's a fair chunk of emphasis there, wouldn't you say? I think it would be. Why do you think God is making this emphasis in the first half of Of this chapter? Of the chapter? Because he's got... uh, It's sort of... Do you want me to come at this from a, a drama perspective? Or come from drama. Okay, from, from drama. a drama perspective. There's, there's drama. This is like dramatic. Oh yeah. So for a drama, for if this was a, a play, you'd be setting up the whole the whole thing. You'd have the the thing that happens the the big dramatic thing 
This would be the, the image. In, the, the image. image. Yep. That would be the interlude. So there's two acts. This would be the end of the first act. Okay. okay? You build up to to a major conflict, and it's it's sort of not the peak of the of the show because the peak comes later. Uh huh. But it's it's almost a little bit of a a, revel, a, a resolution of the conflict because the resolution isn't always the climax. Right. Um, so the resolution is the fact that they serve a god yes. who can deliver them. Yes, exactly. Right. And the climax is Nebuchadnezzar looks in and sees Jesus Christ himself. Exactly. 100%. Um, so from a drama perspective, he's setting that up. Right. He's setting that. He's laying down the, fa- the foundation for a stellar performance. So basically we've, what we've got here is, and you can read, it's interesting to read ancient documents. And when you read ancient documents, they tend to be very, very factual. And Daniel begins with very factual. In you know, the second year of Nebuchadnezzar, sorry, in the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, um, you know, Nebuchadnezzar and King Jehoiakim and so forth, and they captured Jerusalem and took the temple and so forth, which is very, very typical for the way histories were written in those days. But what Daniel has done is he's taken a very, very different approach to history, and he has writ- actually written like, like an ancient screenwriter. So you, you've got a you've got an ancient screenwriter here. I love it. Who pre who predates Herodotus by what two hundred years? About that, yeah, I don't know so exactly. See, see, people say that Herodotus was the first screenwriter. No, Daniel Daniel was way 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 before Herodotus, and this is this is masterful work indeed. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we need to remember that we need to outline that that fact and that reality that this is coming to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, man, we're nearly out of time. I was going to go to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13 is cool. You've got 12 verses and you've got the issue of worship that is repeated five times. And so sometimes I think God repeats himself to the point of annoyance. And the reason that God repeats himself to the point of annoyance is because there is something of incredible importance that needs to be emphasized. And hey, when you get annoyed by something, you're never going to forget it.